0: Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about board games, tabletop role playing games, and tabletop war games. And tonight, we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons, the movie. Yay! Also, Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves, the movie.
1: Yay! I'm right. glad you added that second one in there.
0: We're doing the first and terrible one, and then the new and quite good one. I'm your host, Troy, my pronouns are he and him, and I'm joined, as always, by my talented and filmmaking expert co-host.
1: Yay, my name is Ed, my pronouns are they and them, and to any uh, prospective film school students out there, this is what a filmmaking degree gets you, uh, occasionally talking about movies on a podcast and arguing with people on Twitter about movies.
0: Yep. I mean... You are now qualified to be an electrician on a film set in more than one way.
1: This is kind of true. Um, I will say, though, that once I actually graduated and started working on film sets and with film crews, found out I didn't particularly enjoy the process of uh, working on a film crew. Uh, It's not a great time to figure that out.
0: Uh, I think a lot of people figure that out once they start doing it. Yeah, this is also true.
1: There's a lot of former film crew people out
0: there. Yeah, there are. But before we get into digging into films and the things about films, we have a segment on the podcast called The Week in Hobby. I'll go first. Uh, mine was a little shorter since I only have one campaign that I'm running at the moment, since one of my Everon games wrapped up. In this case, they the party is deep in the Mornlands. They are... ...doing some work for the Lord of Blades... ...as they try to figure out what his deal is... ...and perhaps if they need to stop it. Pro tip, they need to stop it. Um, And so they met a Warforged by the name of Breaker... ...who was uh, full solipsism... ...in that he believes that since it's impossible to know anything... ...outside of your own mind and your own senses... Every one he encounters is a figment of his imagination. And, uh, yeah. I so assume we were
1: going to say he's a cleric that fixes things.
0: No, he's actually a paladin, although they didn't realize that until very late in the session when he used Lay on Hands to heal one of the party members who got wounded. Um, which I thought was a nice, like, wait, what? He's a paladin? Kind of mm-hmm. moment for them? Um... Yeah, but he uh, ha- led them to help him ambush a group of scavengers who are under the control of some of an entity he kept calling the antagonist figment, as in a figment of his imagination. Um, the antagonist figment is a beholder. That that's oh, I... where the kicker here is, and they're gonna have to go fight the beholder. Uh, the, the people they fought were a bunch of illusionists. So like. Kind of weakish mages, plus an Oni that had a, like, fleshy growth on its chest with an eye that was an anti-magic field, like a beholder eye. It's not a tumor. It was not. It was an anti-magic ray eye, which uh, <laughs> seriously messed up the party. Um, it, it kind of was able to ignore some of their shit just by being like, no, your magic doesn't work and I walk out of the circle of fire. Goodbye. Yes. Um, that being said, the Oni managed to miss almost every single attack roll it made, so uh, that 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 evened out. Uh, other than that, I had a Blood Bowl game, which the Skaven managed to win by virtue of being fast and outrunning orcs, and uh, killing a couple of orcs, which was surprising.
1: That is very surprising.
0: I mean, Those are okay. some
1: weak ass orcs. They well, deserve what they got.
0: To be fair, one of the orcs was killed by a rock thrown by a fan.
1: <laughs> That's really funny. Because
0: the the game event where uh, fans throw rocks into the crowd, and each team has one player that randomly gets injured. Um, he had his star blitzer get killed.
1: <laughs> That's even better.
0: Um, he, he had an apothecary, so he re-rolled it to just be injured. Uh my guy was KO'd. Like not even seriously injured or anything. It was just eh, he's he'll he'll take a quick nap and be back later. Um and then in like the second to last round, I uh one of my blitzers just murdered one of his black orcs. Which are crazy That's very expensive. very surprising.
1: Yeah, well, Black Orcs. Not cheap.
0: Yeah, well, my Blitzer had Mighty Blow, so that makes it less surprising. Um, huh. Mighty Blow
1: and Skaven, not necessarily something that I put two and two together.
0: It actually works on their Blitzers, the storm Stormfermen, or whatever you call them, the like, strong armored guys. Because they get strength skills as part of their base setup. So they all So in my team, they have Block and Mighty Blow already. Fun. Um, yes, actually, it's a nice... It gives me the opportunity to actually injure out opponents so I can remove some of the people that might uh, be dangerous to my gutter runners.
1: You are annoying me. Let's just take you off the board.
0: It, exactly. Um, it did also because I won 2-1. Uh, to one. Uh, My Both of my touchdowns were scored by the same incredible gutter runner who is now level 6...
1: all the star points
0: has all the star points has enough things that he can move 13 spaces in one turn
1: the fuck that's gross
0: he has movement speed 10 with sprint which is the one that allows you to go for it an extra time
1: nope and he has
0: has dodge and sure feet so he re-rolls dodge rolls and he re-rolls go for it rolls
1: Nope, definitely don't like it.
0: Also, he has block and uh, sidestep.
1: You just you just keep laying it on.
0: The only way to knock him out is with a pow.
1: Like I said, I hate it.
0: Yeah, he's a monster. Unfortunately, he's still a strength two monster, so uh, yeah, he's got issues. Glass there. cannon. It, he's not even a cannon. He's just a brown streak. yeah um and then there was the game that we had today but i think i'll let you talk about that so how was what did you do in your weekend hobby uh
1: my weekend hobby was kind of uneventful i've actually been sick most of this week and i figured oh since i'm not at work uh i'll be here at home painting miniatures because that's a you know a good low intensity activity uh but it turned out I actually didn't have it in me to really do much other than read manga and play video games so uh haven't really gotten much done hobby wise um however I am working on a fountain uh which I mentioned last week at the very end which was one of the very first things that I 3D printed. Uh, It's actually coming along a lot better than I had anticipated. A lot of inks to kind of make everything look all dirtied up. I've got little uh, fake leaves that are stamped from real leaves from a green stuff world that I like to use a lot. And I've got those kind of floating in around in the pool to mask some whoopsie daisies that I made with the clear resin uh, that I use for water. Uh, Got some reeds in there. And once the current uh, layer of water and stuff that I have in there dries, that one should be ready for maybe its last details and last paintings, but I'm excited to finally have that one on the table. I have like a weird fetish when it comes to fountains. So I definitely want to paint more fountains and just have an entire fountain table for one of our games at some point.
0: Ooh, that could be um, an interesting uh, Frostgrave scenario.
1: Yeah, that's that's originally what I had made it for, was Frostgrave, but for whatever reason, I decided to kind of, like, forego the ice and the snow, probably because I wanted to work on uh, the running water effect, which is a combination of Mod Podge, uh, water resin, and uh, hot glue. Yeah. And so I'm like, if it's well, if it's in the city, you know, it's gonna be like frozen and empty rather than running. So this one it's more of just like an overgrown estate, but there'll more than likely be some overgrown frost <coughs> fountains at some point. Whoops, and I just dropped what I'm working on.
0: No, I'm just saying that you we could you could write up a frost grave scenario based on like the uh magical fountains where there's a whole where there's like a group a plaza full of magical fountains and you're trying to find the one that has Mm. some specific ability and some of the others just fuck you up or kill you or do whatever. This
1: fountain flows with blood.
0: Well, you're looking for like the fountain of youth or something um, and that's like one of them and then you have like, I don't know, like a 3 by 3 grid or something Mm. and like you roll randomly to determine what they do when you first activate them. That'd be cool. Um, With the goal of trying to find the one that's the Fountain of Youth and not the Fountain of Doubt or the... um, Fountain of... uh, I don't know. The Fountain
1: of Gender Change. Just throw that wild magic classic in there.
0: Yeah, the, the Fountain of Instant Death. Who? Why did we even make this fountain?
1: Although, also, if I wanted to do, like, running fountains for Frostgrave, I could do, like, a... Like a geothermal, like hot spring fountain type deal, yeah. on there as well. So, yeah, there'll be there'll be more fountains showing up just as soon as I can be uh, be asked to get my three D printer back up and running. It's still all disassembled. I just haven't gotten around to it.
0: Yes, um, the fountain of three D printing.
1: Yep. Let's see. Right now, I'm working on some three D printed objectives for Infinity. Um, I think when we played Infinity last, over the summer last year, we had found some scenario after the fact that involved like servers or like trying to get to like computer terminals. And I got these, uh, they're supposed to be like vaguely like East Asian themed terrain pieces as is that problematic, uh, trope from, uh, cyberpunk, uh, but they they look like they could be futuristic computer terminals. So I'm currently getting those painted up. I also have a uh, 3D printed pug wearing a VR uh, headset that was supposed to be the systems administrator. His name is Gibson. But looking at it, I feel like I can do a better job on the print. So I'm probably just going to remake that one at some point. Um, and then we had our d and game this morning. Uh, we finally made it. Through the, through the fun funhouse. Uh,
0: it was not fun.
1: No, we encountered one puzzle uh, that had a, I guess not necessarily a pun as the solution, maybe folk wisdom. Uh, and we guessed it correctly on the first try, decided that was too obvious of an answer. So tried every other solution that we could possibly think of before finally strong arming the puzzle and just pulling it apart till we get what till we got what we wanted and then the dm just told us what the solution was and we're like i knew it was going to be something stupid because that's what i said when we started i was all like this solution is going to be something stupid and we're going to walk right past it
0: yeah i do like the fact that we just kind of brute forced that thing we we pried the head off the statue and like pulled out the mechanism
1: i mean nobody said in our our party is particularly intelligent we're it's very much a Futurama D&D campaign.
0: Yes, the 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 insect, the blob man, and the robot. Yep.
1: And uh, then we got into a, a Wild West shootout with a space clown. Um, I nearly died in a dramatic fashion and may or may not have some clown-related PTSD following that encounter.
0: I managed to pull off the entire, like, set of tricks that I had built my character to do, so I was happy. Yeah. The activate star form, pull in a concentration spell that does repeat damage, and then still blast people with, like, Archer Constellation guarantees blat.
1: Yep, and with your with your guidance, I was able to pull off a... Direct long charge into the boss that ended up dealing a large amount of damage in a short space of time, which feels thematic to having a samurai character. Uh, and even if even if I do get killed in some foolhardy way, I have a, a similarly wacky themed character waiting in the wings.
0: Ooh, what's your wacky backup character?
1: Uh, Barbara Arian, the barbarian drag queen.
0: are they also a librarian
1: they could be i mean barbarians are no longer illiterate as of 5e as far as i remember
0: i think 4e kind of got rid of that as well but no one i i don't care about 4e um yeah yeah, i've been been barbarian (laughs) librarian drag queen
1: yeah i've been kind of hyper focused on drag related stuff lately so i came up with that idea and i was like oh too bad i didn't come up with that uh for Spelljammer because I was trying to think if there's a way that I could run that same character in a different campaign but I feel like you kind of you would kind of need the wackiness of Spelljammer to pull it off I don't know if that would work quite as well in a a Feyrune campaign
0: I mean yeah it it fits with the wackiness of the Spelljammer campaign we're in and if you were doing a different like I could see a wacky Planescape campaign also Um, yeah
1: Planescape that could be wacky
0: yeah
1: oh yeah and then uh i guess the the only other uh hobby related thing i could think of was i got uh some new uh gender affirming glasses that let me see much better than my old ones so we'll see how much that cuts down on uh migraines related to mini painting because that's that's been a uh, common symptom of me painting miniatures is immediately getting a migraine we'll find Mm -hmm. out how that goes
0: yeah so a vision might help with that yep and speaking of migraines and seeing things oh my. I'd tonight- myself to this <laughs> Let's talk about the main subject of the night Dungeons and Dragons films Now many people who listen to this podcast I I would think everyone who listens to this podcast should be aware that there is a Dungeons and Dragons film that just came out As of the recording of this. It came out this month. Um, It's called Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. We will be spoiling the shit out of it. So if you haven't seen it. I would recommend going to see it. Like pause the podcast. Go to your local theater. Watch the movie. Then like on the way home. Put like turn the podcast back on and listen to the rest of this. Yep. Or or not. We we don't control you. But it's a good movie and worth watching. It, it's it's very, a very good movie. Yeah, it's real good. It's funny. It, if you like any form of fantasy stuff, then it's worth watching.
1: Even if you um, don't like fantasy, like my wife, she still enjoyed it.
0: I mean, yeah, if, if you like science fiction, if you like Marvel movies, it's worth watching. I mean, if if you're listening to this podcast, presumably you have some interest in these topics, so you might as well go see it.
1: If you're somebody who listens to this show and absolutely despises Dungeons and Dragons, let us know and let us know what keeps you around. I'm curious.
0: Yeah, like half of our episodes have been Dungeons and Dragons related, so thanks for listening. Even though you hate our topics. Um, But tell us what topics you would like more. Yes. Now, this movie, The Honor Among Thieves, is not the first Dungeons & Dragons movie. Or at least, uh, and and, uh, let's be honest, the 2001 titled Dungeons & Dragons, no subtitle, um, is is only the first official D&D movie. Uh, There have been a whole bunch of unofficial D&D movies that were, you know fantasy films or small indie projects that were essentially D&D but they weren't branded as it and they weren't with the blessing of the companies that own Dungeons & Dragons they were pretty much all bad yep Um, the 2000 Dungeons & Dragons film which had the tagline this is no game which is so 2000 um had a long and troubled history
1: <laughs> that it did uh
0: the production kind of got started around 1990 1991 when uh some people well when a, a couple of hollywood guys were talking with some of the dungeons and dragons creators and co-creators uh Gygax and um who's the other one I got nothing. I'm trying to remember. There was another, one of the other co-creators of Dungeons & Dragons, Gygax and somebody else, Um, you know, was talking with some Hollywood people trying to get a film made. So, and then some people started like actually putting together a script and trying to get funding and get directors and actors attached to it between 1990 and 1997. The thing is, the 90s were not a good time. For Dungeons and Dragons at the time, they were owned by TSR, the original company behind it, and the leadership of TSR was bad. Um, it was just bad. The, there's a reason that the 90s were rough for DD. They kept producing second edition material, they weren't real good at modernizing, they were having money issues, and, um, yeah, the, the, some interesting stuff came out in this time period, uh, Planescape and Dark Sun and all sorts of things, but they were losing everything. They were just hemorrhaging money. Um, and in 1997, TSR collapsed and sold all the rights to D&D to Wizards of the Coast, who uh, own it now. It, in the <laughs> and 2000- aren't doing so
1: great with it either.
0: <laughs> I mean... They're not doing great with it now, but that's more cyclical and has more to do, I think, with the fact that they got bought out by Hasbro in the mid-2000s.
1: Time is a flat circle.
0: Yes. Although, in this case, Hasbro just purchased them and made them a division of the company, so it's not as... TSR just sold all the Dungeons & Dragons stuff directly to Wizards of the Coast and was like, we're done.
1: Screw it, you guys deal with it.
0: Yes. Um so that's the thing they were working on this movie they had rights deals and so on and so forth and then in 1997 the company that they had the rights deals with disappeared and Wizards of to the coast now had like was the owners of the brand and they were kind of in the process of well the first thing that they immediately started doing was revamping Dungeons and Dragons and turning it into 3rd edition Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of proto 5th edition for people who didn't play back in the day. Um, a lot of the things that you like in 5th edition came from 3rd edition. But they also weren't super interested in doing a movie. Um, they didn't really want to put a lot of money and effort into making a film especially because uh they didn't have any control over it and they didn't like the script and the film was based on a lot of on or at least the script that they had at the time was based on a lot of second edition stuff and they were trying to get away from that as they made a new edition so Mm -hmm. they you know told them that they couldn't do a huge budget and that they couldn't use the more recent versions of the script. So they used an older one and their budget was only around 35 million to make a big movie.
1: And it shows.
0: And it shows in order to make the movie even somewhat reasonable. They filmed it in the Czech Republic. Um, Because it was much cheaper than filming it in the U S or Britain.
1: I will say it did give them access to that really sweet ossuary with the uh, the skeleton chandelier. When I when I first saw it, I was like, "Oh, cool!" They recreated uh, that cool chandelier from the Czech Republic. And then as I was reading through like the background information, I'm like, "Oh shit!" They were in the actual place with the actual skeleton chandelier.
0: Yeah, they was awesome. the first first feature film to be allowed to film in the Sedlik ossuary. Um, so yeah the thing about filming in the Czech Republic is there's a lot of cool medieval renaissance structures there and they got some pretty good locations because of it Um, the ossuary as you mentioned that is
1: one positive of this movie is some of the locations are actually pretty good
0: yeah uh, that and then there's also um, the like imperial senate thing is the opera house
1: yep that was Um, another
0: cool one And that looks really good. Um, That's one of the sets that I thought was the best. Um, Now that we've gotten the primary positives of the film out of the way...
1: (laughs) Everything else.
0: Pretty much everything else is hot garbage. The actors are, for the most part, not very good. Aside from... The villains are pretty decent, and a couple of the like side guest star bit parts are okay. Um,
1: I mean, I didn't mind Marlon Wayans, but that's just him just doing Wayland Brothers stuff.
0: Yeah, Marlon Wayans,
1: uh, his character some, felt like the most believable as an actual D D character.
0: Yeah, some people can thought that his. Like portrayal was a little racist.
1: Yeah, I can see where they're coming from on that.
0: Um, I I felt kind of weirded out by it. Although at the same time, he apparently was ad libbing a good chunk of it. Um,
1: yeah, that would also that would also make sense.
0: The director of the film, uh, Courtney Solomon, was this was his first time directing a film,
1: and it shows.
0: And it shows no shade
1: to the director, but I mean. Yikes.
0: Well, he he did not want to direct it, but he was the one... He was expecting to be, like, a producer.
1: Um, did you see who he wanted to
0: direct it? He wanted a bunch of people to direct it.
1: He wanted... He originally wanted Francis Ford Coppola to direct it, and TSR said no.
0: Well, he also then wanted James Cameron and a bunch of other people. He had a whole list of, like, all the biggest directors in Hollywood that he wanted to direct it. So, that's, like me saying, I'm going to make a movie and I want George Lucas to come back from retirement and direct it. Like, I can say that as much as I want, but it doesn't actually mean anything.
1: I would I would watch a James Cameron D, uh, Dungeons and Dragons movie.
0: I... Do you really want to watch a two-hour long documentary about the um, like, fantastical life cycle of Creatures on the in the jungles of Shult.
1: Potentially, what kind of creatures are we talking about?
0: I, I mean, dinosaurs. I think are in the jungles of Shult. So, hell like, yeah, and, and I guess undead and stuff. I'm, okay, I've talked myself into it. Um, just, just yeah, I'd watch that movie. We're just gonna make avatars, in, except instead of being blue skinned cat people, they're just elves. <laughs> I mean, that that would basically work. Yeah. Um, so. the the movie, the movie's bad. The basic plot of it is. There is a kingdom ruled by mages, and, the empress, wants to make everyone equal, because she is a child and. They, they couldn't come up with a better motivation for her. Um,
1: I should say, with her decree at the end of the movie, it's easy to decree something a lot harder to change existing power structures in reality.
0: And, yeah, like, from all of the speeches that she gives, you get the feeling that she has no idea what she actually needs to do to make that happen. So, that that's either a screenwriting issue or... No, it's a screenwriting issue. <laughs> um, also, her acting is god awful. I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. She's a it, It's basically a child actor. But I mean, it's just bad.
1: Also, I couldn't I couldn't quite square up the idea of the main character, who is a thief and ostensibly has been trod upon by the boots of imperialism, uh, in this kingdom. Suddenly, just falls in love with the idea of the empire and is willing to sacrifice himself and everything to save it. He should be like, no, dude, you should be like burning that shit down.
0: Uh, he's horny for the mage librarian lady. This is true. He he, he is one hundred percent simping for mage for librarian mage lady. Like that that's his entire motivation switch there. Um, I mean, if, and he's
1: a- if you were off- able
0: to. That the villain kills his buddy.
1: Also true. If you were able to like pull that off into an actual like plot point of like, I don't I don't really believe in this. I'm just trying to do it, you know, to get the girl in a weird, tropish fashion. Maybe you could make that into a serviceable plot point. But as it as is, it's like uh uh no, it doesn't work.
0: No, oh, also he gets a speech at one point from uh the fourth doctor because uh, Tom Baker shows up briefly as an elf um, and just does Tom Baker voice for... Oh yeah, I, f- for I forgot about that. For five minutes he's on screen. He is in literally one scene.
1: <laughs> the exposition scene where we fill you in on everything that you've probably not cared about up until this point.
0: It's not even that. It's just that in the exposition scene he's like, yeah, that thing you're looking for will destroy the world. And you're like, do we really need to ratchet up the tension? The the bad guy is already planning on, like, killing the Empress and starting a war or using this thing. You don't need to tell us that it'll also destroy all magic and end the world. Like...
1: This is a... This is a... a Plot point in the writing that I'll have to bring back up when we finally get to Honor Among Thieves. Because I have... I have thoughts about it.
0: Yeah. um, But... Yeah, that, that also sort of, I guess, is part of his journey, is that he learns that the thing will destroy the world, but also, like, you could just not go get it.
1: Yeah, if he doesn't get it, I mean, how well, are the villains going to get it? They seem pretty incompetent.
0: The point there was that the villains had taken the girl he liked hostage, I think, at that point. Yep. So he had to get it in order to trade it. Because, again, he was horny for the librarian. Which, understandable. <laughs> um, But, yeah, it it's a bad movie. To p- the magical artifacts facts that they need are staffs that control dragons. The empress has one that controls gold dragons, and the bad guy wants one that controls red dragons. Which and, look
1: exactly the same. Just different be- colors.
0: And not even, like, substantially different colors they're very similarly colored because the CGI and effects for this film are hot garbage
1: i noticed there's a couple of shots in the uh, end battle with all the dragons where uh, a a like red dragon will be following a gold dragon and they will use the exact same animation cycle
0: oh yeah they use the same animation cycle the same character models and the character models are bad they yep. are just ugly i mean looking. this
1: is this is even bad by like 2000 standards because if you want like a better DD movie from around that era check out reign of fire which came out in 2004 the dragon effects and reign of fire are really good but they wouldn't have had a movie if they hadn't been able to pull off you know good dragon effects for that one
0: um i would point out that uh lord of the rings return of the king came out in 2003
1: oh that is correct i forgot about lord of the rings
0: yeah um and and return of the king in particular has the uh the nazgul the nazgul on the fell beasts and those while not explicitly dragons they're wyverns or they're they're fell beasts they're just magical bad things are amazing and in fact because the first Lord of the Rings movie came out one year after this, it's real hard to see this and then a year later watch uh, the Fellowship of the Ring and be like, oh, oh, this is what happens when someone who's good at making a fantasy movie makes a fantasy movie.
1: <laughs> my my point still stands though. Reign of fire is a better DD D movie, it's just a DD modern campaign.
0: I will agree with that 100%. Um, Reign of Fire is a fun popcorn film.
1: Despite it's, the, it's a it's a B movie, but it's a good B movie.
0: Yes. I mean, the core element of that is that the protagonists discover that the dragons are easy. Uh, uh, the best time to fight the dragons is when the lighting conditions are such that you can cover up uh, any issues with their CGI.
1: Yeah. Yeah uh i that
0: is the core plot fully point.
1: i fully tip my hat to the creative director who came up with that because that is a solution i would also come up with
0: yeah the, i mean that's the core plot point is that the dragons are easiest to fight uh in at dusk and dawn when the lighting conditions are changing
1: yep it's the same it's the same trick that jurassic park pulled to make the dinosaurs look good yeah you shoot them in the dark and in the rain
0: yeah and the kind of opposite of the trick that district nine pulled where they figured out that once you get to a certain point harsh lighting is actually even better mm-hmm. um, because harsh lighting allows you to do really sharp shadows which makes everything look crisper and that is part of why district nine looks so amazing with their cgi yep the other part is that just you know weight is good at their job yeah um, they are
1: they are very good at what they do
0: yes but ongoing, the first Dungeons & Dragons movie, it was uh, it was a box office flop. $35 million budget, uh, $45 million budget, box office $33.8 million. It, it had a moderate um, advertising campaign. It was very focused. I remember seeing ads for it in Dragon Magazine, uh, but basically nowhere else. Um, so it presumably made money on DVD sales.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, like I even I even find it difficult to recommend as like a bad B movie watch. It was just the whole thing was just oh, it was it was hard going back to it. I can't believe my childhood self was actually entertained by that movie.
0: Yes, well, I mean, it was nominated for a number of awards, uh, including worst picture, worst supporting actor. <laughs> Uh, most intrusive musical score. Uh, least special special effects. Um, yeah, the the stinkers bad movie awards nominated it for uh, a number of things. It did not win any of them.
1: I was really hoping you were going to say that you found like in the depths of the Internet somewhere. Uh, one of those cards they submit to the electors, of the Academy Award saying, please uh, support this. Film for best picture uh, like how they found one for Transformers Dark Side of the Moon for best picture
0: oof
1: Um. (laughs) I saw that and I was like really they they really tried to pull that off
0: yeah uh, it was nominated for a positive award for the actress who was playing the empress at the Saturn Awards as like a young actor in sci-fi fantasy movie did not win yeah, that maybe did not win it she she was not good enough to win that i don't know who did um
1: i'm going to start my award, my own award show called the jupiter awards
0: there were a lot of much there were a lot of better stuff like farscape and stargate sg1 were airing at the time and these tv shows had better effects and better writing
1: i don't think i've ever seen farscape
0: it was weird but worth watching
1: good to Um, know it
0: it used a lot of puppets
1: and a lot of okay i'm i'm more convinced puppets are always good
0: yeah a lot of puppet puppet puppetry for the aliens and stuff had some weird things going on but it was cool um Now, the 2000 movie was followed by a pair of direct-to-DVD sequels, uh, Dungeons & Dragons, Wrath of the Dragon God, and Dungeons & Dragons 3, The Book of Vile Darkness. I have not seen either of these. They are nearly impossible to find. They're not on any streaming services. They're not really available to watch. They brought only one character from the original back for the second movie, and it was the henchman and the villain who gets killed in the first movie. I, I will say... The villain uh, gets killed and the henchman gets killed. there, But everyone's dead. But he comes back for the second movie. The third movie didn't even do that. Um, I will have, say, as somebody who are, likes...
1: Uh, go sorry, go ahead.
0: I was going to say... say is, <laughs> god damn it uh, one of us people, has to go half the people starring in the um third movie don't have wikipedia pages which is a bad sign
1: yeah that's a bad sign now it's your turn <laughs> i was gonna say as uh somebody who also looks good in blue cosmetics uh Damodar and his metallic blue lipstick that that was another positive point I wanted to make for the, the 2000s D&D movie.
0: Yeah, I'll, although I do want to raise like a couple more things. The first one is there is an elf and a dwarf in it. They Do we actually ever learn their names? The elf we do because she's the tracker for the whatever and I think the dwarf says his name Um, in the tavern sequence after he first shows up. They have... No active effect on anything. Um no, aside, they don't. Aside from the elf, like off-screen, bringing the heroes to the elf place so that one of them can get healed, and literally that's it. That that is the entirety of the on-screen the actions. That the, that is the entirety of their effect on the plot. The dwarf doesn't even like get a cool. He's not fight even scene. in the
1: end scene.
0: He's not. I think he's in the very end scene, but in the like final big boss fight, both of them are immediately like tased by the evil wizard and then just stand there not doing anything for the rest of it.
1: Well, that, I mean, that does hold up to scrutiny of an actual D and D game of how, of how a game can go.
0: Well, yeah, but there's a bunch of other sequences where you could have them do something but they don't, and in fact, in one sequence, they literally are like, oh no, we have to let the humans do this. <laughs> like, the uh, the elf and the dwarf are like, oh no, we gotta let the humans do this, we can't get involved. And it's like, why even be in the movie? Except to say that you have an elf and a dwarf. There's also a whole Probably. bunch of shit that doesn't... It doesn't exist in D&D. Like, there's a few sequences when they have, like, monster people and they like name drop what the race of the monster is, it's not a DD race at all. Yeah, that
1: was that was my other other thing with the movie is like there's no no recognition of the IP really. Cause even even dragons, you know, dragons are pretty generic to fantasy in general. You could have called the movie Magic Heist and it may have been better just for the lack of name recognition of Dungeons and Dragons. I don't
0: know. Yeah, the only d d things in it really are the, um, the fact that they are red dragons and gold dragons specifically, although they don't have any of the characterization of either type. And at one point they have beholders in the movie.
1: Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. They the don't
0: use them at all like how beholders are in the games and any of the settings. They use them as like guard dogs.
1: I saw the scene with the beholder. I was like, that's not a beholder. That's a spectator. Beholders yeah, never That's lower a themselves gazer to that. at
0: best. Yeah. Um but yeah, it, it's bad, but it is available on YouTube for free with ads or just free if you have ad blocker installed and if you have a group of friends that want to watch a terrible fantasy movie i cannot recommend dungeons and dragons 2000 enough for watching a terrible fantasy movie and making fun of it the whole way that's what it's good for Maybe,
1: maybe that was my problem I tried to watch it seriously as as like actual film analysis and I had a bad time
0: oh I had to do that as well so I'm right there with you I had to break it up into like three sittings to actually watch it
1: I mean I I was the person in film school who was known for uh purposefully analyzing trash movies and like pop culture stuff while everybody was doing some kind of highbrow highfalutin film stuff and I was just analyzing like whatever horror movie I could find on the shelf. But this I I struggled.
0: Yeah, it's just bad. Watch it and make fun of it with people. Don't watch it if you actually want to see a fantasy movie. If you want to see a good fantasy movie, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. It's yeah, fun. I'll second that. It it manages to do a number of things that are really important and actually kind of amazing that it got right Yeah, um, it's fun it tells a narrative that feels like it could be a D&D campaign including all the weird little shit that happen in a D&D campaign <laughs> that like things go wrong because the party makes a weird choice and the dungeon master has to play along with it or the dungeon master does something and the players have to like act in a way they weren't expecting because of it. Um,
1: It feels like a movie that was made by people who had actually played D&D before and recognized what makes D&D fun as a game.
0: Yes, and in fact, I believe the uh, screenplay is by people who play Dungeons & Dragons. Um, It also is set in the Forgotten Realms campaign setting. And when I say set in, I mean... It has the strongest sense of place that I've seen in a fantasy film like this with the least amount of exposition about the setting. And I am so in for it. Yep. There is I mean, no- my wife
1: knows essentially really nothing about d d but she was able to follow along and get invested into it and into it. But she didn't necessarily need to know, like, you know, the exact politics of, that region of, like, the Sword Coast and the areas north of it and all that. It's just fun background flavor for those of us who know.
0: Yeah, there's no exposition about the places. Uh, There's no... There's not even an exposition about, like, the organizations that the hero... that some of the protagonists belong to. The only real exposition sequence we get is about the villain... And their evil, terrible, bad thing. Um, which, again, that's a DM using a character to explain the plot to the players. Um, and so, like... And it's done in-universe and in, like, scene. It yep. is one character explaining it to a number of other characters who don't know what it is they're about to deal with. It It's exposition that makes sense in the course of the film rather than just being like ages ago darkness walked the land the world was at peace until the fire nation attacked it's not that it is very like it makes sense yep um and it gets the setting right in that it is set in places that exist in the forgotten realms for the most part And it references and just, like, shows bits of it. Even if it doesn't name them specifically, it takes people past things that exist. For example, on the way to Neverwinter, two of the characters walk past an erupting volcano. That is uh, Mount Hotnew, the volcano that keeps the river that runs through never winter warm and hence is why it's called never winter because the Mm -hmm. river never freezes over um now this is cool because they were filming in iceland and a volcano started erupting so they like zipped over there and filmed next to it uh which is pretty entertaining that a volcano erupting they're like oh we got to get that in the film um one of those fortuitous coincidences. <laughs> but there's a bunch of other stuff. The prison in the beginning, Revel's End. That shows up in uh, Rime of the Ice Maiden.
1: Oh, I guess we never we never got far enough to actually encounter that.
0: Yeah. Um, it doesn't show up anywhere before that. I think that's the first time it existed and they uh, adjusted it a little bit um, in terms of like style from the way it's depicted in that. But... It's not invented for the film. Now, some stuff is invented for the film, like the whole uh, High Sun Festival Games Death Arena thing.
1: That's your that's your DM uh, creative license.
0: Yeah, the DM Fiat to create that. And I don't think anyone has a problem with that nope. being a thing.
1: Um, I mean, it's better than the Death Maze from the 2000 film.
0: Yeah, and the... The death maze from the 2000 film makes no goddamn sense.
1: Awfully valuable treasure for such an easy, easy maze to get through.
0: Also, the notion that the guild master was waiting for someone to go through it so he could take the treasure because no one could get through it alive. And apparently there was no way to like, I don't know turn off the mechanisms from the outside somehow.
1: You're a pretty bad, uh, Thieves' Guild master if you don't have, like, a back door into your own traps. Sorry.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, that- that was real weird. Um, but yeah, no. The new one is fun. It has a number of amazing bits. Um, a lot of the lore that matches up quite nicely with existing lore. Um... Some amazing, like, additions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um. Themper Child, the... Yes. ...fat dragon. Chonky boy. Is existing lore. He's an existing thing. He, he's been in Forgotten Realms before. He was not depicted quite so fat, quite so, um, heckin' chonky.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: such an absolute unit of a dragon. Um... But he did exist. So, uh, perfect choice.
1: And I will say, when it comes to like how the story played out, they took a good leaf from the sword and sorcery genre. And rather than having, as in pretty much every like sci-fi and fantasy movie that you have where the plot is like, oh no, this whole thing is going to like end the world and the stakes are like absolutely the highest they can be. The quest that they're on is extremely personal and is important to characters for their own reasons rather than feeling like they need to save the world, um, which is a thing that shows up in a lot of like sword and sorcery uh, fiction. And it solves that issue of like the disposable villain problem that shows up in Marvel where, you know, they have these villain and, oh, they're going to destroy the universe or do something. And then, oh, they, you know, they solve the problem the universe is saved. It's like, well, you, when the universe is going to get snapped away, you really can't raise the stakes any higher than they are. But for the D&D movie, this is a conflict between two characters and their personal beef, you know, which happens to include a little bit of end of the world. Storyline. It's not even. But it becomes kind of like a thing of like, oh, yeah, we're on this quest and there is. This is actually the main plot point, but we kind of. We kind of went off and did our own thing instead. And then at the end, it's like, oh, yeah, we should probably like finish up this main plot point, which is very much how a DD campaign can run.
0: Yes. And it's also. You said like. It's. Even the main plot isn't the end of the world, it's only the destruction of a single city. Yep. And the characters essentially have at one point the option to just leave yep. and go somewhere else and be totally fine. But they decide because of the heroic journey that they've been on that they should go back and save everyone because they, while they are thieves, they have honor. <laughs> hey, Hey, um, the exact opposite of the previous one in that it has really good effects both the cgi effects um the cgi effects are mostly good there are a couple of bits that are just a little not perfect um but almost all of the practical effects of which there is a surprising amount are real good um, and all the fight scenes are good,
1: and like the fight scenes, they're good and they don't feel unnecessary. Like in the two thousands version, there'll be a fight scene, and it's like, oh, they're they're fighting again, and I don't I don't particularly care why they're fighting, and it feels like it's just there because it's a fantasy movie and you need to have a fight scene. Whereas. The fight scenes in honor among thieves feels like oh you're at the part of this encounter where yeah we need to do have like a little bit of combat in here but a majority of what you're doing is not combat focused
0: yeah i mean and the players the, the the characters in it sometimes they fight things other times they just try to run away yep
1: it's a viable tactic sometimes
0: the barbarian fights things while the bard uh, rolled poorly to escape from his binds, and so instead just keeps using bardic inspiration. <laughs> yep. I mean, that's literally what happens in one scene.
1: <laughs> and what do we? What have ch- we decided that we call this ludo narrative harmony?
0: Yes. um So the term ludo narrative dissonance is used when the narrative. It typically is for video games, and it's when the narrative and the gameplay mechanics don't match. Yep. When the story you're trying to tell is doesn't fit with the way the game plays. Uh, it, it would be like if you're trying to tell an incredibly personal story about a man who's lost his daughter, but your gameplay is... An open-world, collectible, like, Assassin's Creed-style thing where uh, you have a mini-map full of icons that keep popping up and you have to climb to the top of buildings and towers and stuff. Mm -hmm. It just... The gameplay needs to match the story to a certain extent.
1: Yeah, the one that I always go back to is um, Bioshock Infinite, how you have, like, this escape story and the story happening between two characters, but then there are extended, like, gunfights that break out and nobody ever really seems to notice that there's this extended running battle going through the city. And it just, it's always weird when they shift back to like story mode. That's kind of always the, the example that I go back to.
0: I don't know. I, I don't get it from that as much as I do from, um, um, well, okay. Spec Ops, the line, I guess is oh, an example. Yeah, of that's a good one using Except it's a, Weird example because it uses ludonarrative dissonance in that the story it's trying to tell and the way the gameplay works don't mesh, but then you get to the end and it turns out that's the point. Yep. The The actual story and the themes is that your special ops team are not the heroes and all this crazy shit you've been doing to save the city... It didn't. You're the villains and you've just killed hundreds of people technically thousands including you know when you did that that uh when you did the bad thing i don't when you committed a bunch of war crimes are,
1: are we doing spoilers it, for spec ops now too
0: it's been out for a long time <laughs> um i think some of the uncharted games are also considered an example because they are they kill hundreds of people and they're just like supposed to be fun um adventurers but but they've they've killed literally thousands of people yeah yeah so little narrative dissonance is when the tone or the like mechanics of something don't fit the story it's also something that can happen in role-playing games or tabletop war games when the mechanics don't fit the story or narrative that's being told the opposite of it is what I would call ludonarrative harmony, where the mechanics and the like thing that is happening matches really well with the story. And Honor Among Thieves actually hits that off better than, I think, any film that kind of is willing to do this, because there are a lot of sequences that you can see clearly the sort of what is going on in a and d game that causes this outcome?
1: Yep. When uh when the bard um, is trying to cheer up the the barbarian after she had a disappointing conversation, that's your bardic inspiration.
0: And he literally starts playing a song because yep. he's a bard. Um in the final fight scene against the evil red wizard, uh there's a sequence where everybody hits her in turn.
1: <laughs> yes that that was my first thought i was like that is exactly how a D&D boss fight would go they all gang up on the boss they take it in turn and they just hold her in place to deal maximum damage
0: yeah um and they beat her by using a random magic item that they got earlier in the game that the dungeon master probably forgot that he had yep and like they pull something out of their inventory and use it to defeat the wizard
1: and even like it's the fact of the of the druid wild shaping into an owlbear, which <laughs> technically an owlbear is a monstrosity, not a beast. It just follows the rule of cool of the druid player saying, hey, can I shapeshift and do an owlbear? And the DM saying, sure, why not? I don't care. Uh,
0: the, the druid didn't follow the standard druid wild shape rules, but also didn't cast any spells. So my thought is that that druid is playing a homebrew variant where you give up all your spellcasting abilities in order to get a bunch of additional wild shapes per day and some other options like switching between the wild forms without switching back to normal form. And the Dungeon Master was also pretty chill with letting you be things like owlbears. Yep. And I guess, like, on a um, similar
1: note, like, even the characters themselves, I feel like they're kind of, like, the stereotypical players that you would get in a DD and d game, like the Druid. Her character is very flat. She's not very emotive, but she has, like, a lot of mechanical function from, like, a gameplay standpoint. And I'm like, oh, that's the player who's really not that into role-playing, but still enjoys the game and is there and is just kind of, like, not phoning in like they're role-playing, but they're doing kind of just what they can. They're not super into it.
0: Yeah, and also, I mean, her arc was that she didn't really like or trust everybody else. Everybody else already knows each other.
1: This is also true.
0: And she's brought in as, like, an additional person because they needed her, and she doesn't really trust them for most of the film.
1: I could also be reading things into the film that are not actually into the text.
0: No, I mean, I do agree with you about her seeming flat compared to the others, but I think the reason is she's kind of an out everybody else knows each other already and she's kind of an outsider and doesn't like humans
1: yeah that would make
0: sense and she specifically states this several times um i also kind of got this uh, vague feeling that she's not that she might be like asexual and that could is. It, perhaps part of why she wasn't interested in being romanced by the sorcerer but
1: I also got that vibe I don't know maybe Which that was if, just me if that was the point cool
0: I mean it it may have been a subtle thing
1: yeah I've also um, I've also seen uh, a few other things that a- that actress has been in and that's just kind of her style she's not super emotive so that it could be just kind of a coincidence but that was another possibility yep
0: yeah. Um, suffice it to say Honor Among Thieves is good it does a good job it tells a good story Uh, it does a whole bunch of fantastic things the actors pretty much just nail it across the board yep
1: Um, (laughs) we're running at an hour trying to wrap up our thoughts yada yada yada
0: yeah (laughs) special shout out to the um Paladin Zank Who is a DMPC, (laughs) or... And nails
1: that role as the DMPC. It's so awesome.
0: I'd argue that he's either the DMPC, or he is the Dungeon Master's friend who can't make it to most sessions. Oh,
1: yeah, that one would work.
0: And so, like, when he does show up, the Dungeon Master, like, hands him a (laughs) higher-level character, and is like, here, do this. And he's real good at it, but then he has to leave Mm -hmm. and misses out on the rest of the game.
1: I just assume so they
0: just have him walk <laughs> off into the distance in a straight line.
1: Yep, going over that rock. Yeah. I just assume um, that he was the DM PC because he, he seemed to be playing like on a whole other level that the other that the regular player characters weren't on and was taking things with a seriousness that a DM would that players may not.
0: Yes. I mean, that is the thing. He and he does guide them into stuff and provide exposition that really only a dm should be doing yep um specifically the bridge puzzle (laughs) sequence which is so amazing they come to a bridge that leads them to an important item and there is a cunning gnomish trap and he starts explaining the sequence of stones that they have to step on otherwise it'll collapse and they'll fall to their death And it's very complicated, and then one of the people accidentally sets foot on a stone on the bridge, and it collapses, and they have to find another way to cross.
1: Which, again, is a thing that would happen in an actual D&D game.
0: Yes, and then they have to pull out a random item that they had and be like, oh, this is actually magical, and we can use it to get across. And then they use it repeatedly for the rest of the film, presumably to the DM's annoyance (laughs) that this thing that he kind of only wanted them to use once... They shoehorn it into every single thing they do for the rest of the movie. Like, why did
1: I give them that item?
0: I love it. I, I, I absolutely love it that they that. And also, I think that it's a really neat item, and I'm happy that D D now has a portal gun, officially. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I would recommend going and seeing the movie. Yeah. And then You know, yeah.
1: Go see it and then keep playing D&D. You can take my official word for it as a person who officially graduated film school and then did nothing else with it.
0: Yep. Yeah, and my official word as someone who has played plenty of D&D. Yep. Um, Yeah. So, we have a segment on this podcast called Board Game Corner, and today we're going to talk about... The Fox in the Forest. Fun. Which is a two-player card game. Uh, it's a trick-taking game that is you use cards and you try and get like a certain number. Uh, it's got some very cool sort of fairy tale esque art. Um, and the you know the goal is you alternate playing cards and whoever wins the thing takes that set until you run out of cards and play a new round interestingly its scoring thing is based on how many tricks you take and you can win okay and if you take zero to three points zero to three tricks you get six points because you are humble mm-hmm. um then if you take four tricks you get one point five tricks two six is three seven to nine points you're victorious and you get Six points. The same as being humble. If you get too many, if you get more than ten tricks, you are greedy. Whoops. And get zero points.
1: Wah, wah.
0: So the goal is to either get none or get this like nice little range towards the top. Um. So it's got some interesting things. It's a really solid two-player card game. It's quite small. It plays quickly um i'd say it's probably a good couples game yeah boy um the artwork is nice the rules are pretty straightforward it's got some little tokens so you can easily track who's got the most points it's just a good little uh game for somebody who wants to just you know game it up a little bit of playing cards uh i would recommend it it's it's very pretty looking and, uh, yeah, that is our show. As always, thank you for listening. Um, you can go see Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves in theaters. You can watch the original one online on YouTube, of all places. Have fun. Uh, watch it in short things, uh, no more than five minutes at a time. Uh, make sure to check your, like, bad movie docimeter, uh, in case you get too much exposure. Um,. You might alternate watching, like, sections of it and then sections of Lord of the Rings if you're feeling especially scared of it.
1: Just a little palate cleanser.
0: Yeah. um, You can join a union. You can uh, avoid the state of Tennessee and Florida and Texas. um, And you can do all the things Ed's about to tell you to do.
1: Oh, boy. You can follow me on Instagram and Adamadness. I could probably do more analysis and talk about this film for another two hours, but I won't subject everybody to that. Um,
0: There will be an extended cut of the podcast coming out never.
1: (laughs) Uh, You can see some of the stuff that I'll probably be working on showing up on the internet shortly. Uh, You can support your queer charities and your reproductive justice funds. Uh, Go see your local drag queens and support their shows. Make sure that uh, Nazis have a bad time. Don't talk to the cops. Uh go Knowles.
0: Go Knowles. Go Knowles